week three of our series called Gifts That Keep On Giving. So we've been talking about spiritual gifts for a few weeks now. Our whole fall has been dealing with things along these lines. October was spiritual disciplines. November was the fruit of the Spirit. And December is the gifts of the Spirit. So we've kind of been going through this progression throughout the fall. And uh, it's very important for us to understand spiritual gifts because the primary significance of spiritual gifts is understanding who God has made us and what part of the body of Christ we are. What role do we fill in God's plan? Because one of the good things that we've talked about about spiritual gifts is that God has us play to our strengths. You know, that's a real nice thing. When you were in school If you got A's and B's in all your classes except you failed one, which one got more attention? The one you failed you had to deal with. I was extremely bad at spelling. You know, spelling was always very challenging for me. One semester, my average was 33%, you know, not real great for spelling. But that's the school system, you know, you try to fix your problems, In the body of Christ, you might not be able to do this, you might not be able to do that, but God has given you abilities to do other things, and that's the stuff you're supposed to focus on. We play to our strengths in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. And I want to reread a quote from last week from Albert Einstein, which I think is a really important thing for us to understand, and it fits into our topic. And Albert Einstein, incidentally, was also very bad at spelling, so... I have a little bond with Albert. He said, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Isn't that quite the quote? Everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. And the way that I see that fitting into our understanding of how we fit into the body of Christ is simply this. You have been made a certain way by God to do certain things. And if you judge yourself based on other people and the way they serve God, then you're probably going to be dissatisfied with that. And you may even feel like you don't fit in and you just got something wrong with you. And that's a disaster, What we need to realize is that God doesn't make mistakes and that we need to see ourselves for who we are. Now, get rid of the sinful nature and all the garbage stuff. You know, I'm not talking about that. But then when you've gotten rid of all of that, here you are and you just look and you realize, you know, you're not the same as everybody else because that's God's plan is we're not all the same. We're all very, very different. And we're to come together and fill different roles in the body of Christ, different roles in God's greater plan. And so in order to do that, we have to embrace our differences and play to our particular strengths rather than try to all be exactly the same. It's very freeing and a wonderful thing to realize that God has designed it for us to play to our strengths and he empowers us to succeed in certain ways. So last week we looked at different lists of spiritual gifts and kind of described that a little bit. This week we're going to talk about developing your spiritual gifts. It's very important for us to grow in the gifts that we have. So that's going to be our topic today. Let me motivate this a little bit first before we get in too far. 
you know, I converted to Christianity from basically secularism, so it wasn't raised in church, wasn't brought up with any of the basic concepts of Christianity or any religion. And so when I became a Christian as a young adult, there were a lot of new things for me. And one of the things that I had heard as a criticism of Christianity and religion in general is that Christianity is boring and irrelevant. Boring and irrelevant. How many people have heard that religion or Christianity is just boring and irrelevant? This was something that I thought was interesting because, let me tell you, my experiences with God were not boring and irrelevant. (laughs) They were rather powerful and even scary, you know, like not boring. And so I thought, well, how does somebody get under the impression that following Jesus is boring and irrelevant? So I looked at that for a little while, and this is basically the understanding that I came to, is to make an analogy with sports. Which is more fun, playing in the game or sitting on the bench? Playing in the game is more fun than sitting on the bench. In fact, you might say that sitting on the bench is boring and irrelevant, but playing in the game is a whole lot of fun. It's challenging. You see the things you do wrong. You see the things you do right. It's, it's exciting to be in the game. But on the bench is boring and irrelevant. And I think what's happened in Christianity is God has a plan and a purpose for people's lives, but they just haven't developed their giftings and they haven't grown to the place where they can get into the game. And so they're sitting on the bench. And since they're not participating and getting to be involved, it gets boring And nothing really happens, and it's just irrelevant. So in order to avoid the boring and irrelevant thing, we have to get into the game. In order to get into the game, we have to grow and get strong enough. You want to be on the varsity team, you gotta, you gotta train, you gotta get there so that you can be in the game. And it's the same thing with the body of Christ. We have certain innate giftings and abilities, but we have to grow in those areas in order to be able to get into the game. Because then when you get in the game, it's very exciting. I got to hear a testimony last night of someone who knows someone who was watching us on television and had a life-changing experience and just got on their knees in front of the TV and prayed and turned their life around. Is that boring and irrelevant? That's exciting stuff. You know, I mean, that's super, super cool. Exactly. And, you know, it's a person who doesn't do well in crowds and that sort of thing. So guess what? The TV worked out really well for that. And that's exciting. And when you get to work with somebody and see them turn their life around, you get to work with a family and see a marriage come back together and parents and kids reunited and you get to see people conquer addictions and things that have been holding them back their whole life and you get to help them get the right self-image and not hate themselves anymore but realize who they are in Christ. You get to be part of all that. That's not boring and irrelevant. That's very exciting. It's awesome. But if you never get to that because you're just you know, never growing, never developing your abilities and gifts and your character isn't getting there. So you're kind of disqualified for service. So you never get in the game. That's boring and irrelevant. And let me tell you, there is an exciting life of following Christ and seeing light come into darkness and seeing things change in this world. And it's exciting. 
And the key to getting there is doing the hard work of developing your spiritual gifts and developing your character. That's how you get there. And I am convinced that everyone, as the scriptures say, is part of God's plan. That there isn't anyone that is just to watch from the sidelines. But everyone is to get in and be involved in a variety of different ways. The first step, I believe, is to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. To want spiritual gifts. Now, there's kind of two different types of spiritual gifts. There's the things that you're born with that's just part of God's plan, and you just have an ability. You can do certain things better than other people. And then there are the like supernatural spiritual gifts that you kind of acquire as you go. So there's kind of those two different categories. And I'm basically talking about both because you do have to develop the things that are just natural because, you know, God made you with those natural abilities and he did that on purpose. You know, it's not accidental. You still have to develop those. But then at the same time, we want to be open to these other types of spiritual gifts, the more supernatural types of spiritual gifts. So let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27 through 31. We read this last week and then take a different point out than we did last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, first verse, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Again, this is the, the inclusive all y'all. Now you, that's the plural everybody, all y'all are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So this is absolutely where it says that each one of us belongs to God's plan and his purpose and we all have a role in that. So we must realize that we are important to the cause of Christ. Verse 28, and in the church, I think it's an interesting way to phrase that, and in the church, So there's God's big plan and there's the church. You know, there's God's plan outside of the church too. Besides God's plan inside the church, there's lots of things that God has people do that aren't part of the organized church experience. There's lots and lots of God's stuff going on outside of church. There's also lots and lots, hopefully, of God's stuff going on inside the church. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. We're all different. We have different abilities, different things that we do, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. So we'll talk a little bit about the most excellent way in a little bit. But it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So we are to eagerly desire the greater gifts. If we jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says basically the same thing. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In two weeks, we'll talk about those types of spiritual gifts. So next week, of course, we're right before Christmas. We got to talk about the most important gift that's ever been given. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We got to talk about that gift next week. But the week after that, we're going to talk about these supernatural gifts like gifts of prophecy, tongues and interpretation, and how that's all supposed to work. Because that can be kind of awkward. 
For some people, it's really awkward. For others, it's like not awkward, but they make other people feel awkward, you know. So we need to talk about that and get a real good sense of what's God's plan with regards to, you know, especially the gift of prophecy. Am I supposed to try to be a prophet? That's kind of on the other side. You know, how, how does this all work? Well, we need to talk about that and get a good sense of what that means. So we'll talk about that in two weeks. Now, I'm at that stage where I'm not a kid anymore and my kids aren't kids anymore. And it's Christmas time. And there's something special about being five years old when it's Christmas. You know what I mean? But there's no five-year-olds around anymore. But I remember the good old days of the Christmas list. Remember the Christmas list and you'd write a list out? Then you hope that you get a gift. You're eagerly desiring a Christmas gift, right? But that doesn't mean you're going to get everything on your list. You just really want that. And that's how these spiritual gifts are between us and God. We can eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but it's really His decision on what we get. We don't get to choose the spiritual gifts that we get. We can eagerly desire, we can put things on the list, and then it's just God's decision. It's His his call. So He gives us the gifts that He decides to give us, and then that shows us the role that we have in the body of Christ. And so we eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So the first thing is to be open to and to want. The King James even says covet spiritual gifts. This is something that we should be highly motivated to receive spiritual gifts. And then the next thing is to fan those gifts into flame. Because it's exciting to think about having spiritual gifts and that God has a plan for my life. But there can also be obstacles in this getting to its fullness. So we're going to look at Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote two letters to this man named Timothy. And he was a younger individual and he was like a pastor of the church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. He was the church planter there. He started the church in Ephesus. Then Paul moved on. And now Timothy is basically the pastor of the church there. I think it was not exactly the same structure that we have, but that's the best way to think about it. And so Paul is writing letters to Timothy to help him out with this process. And that's First and Second Timothy. And so let's go to 2 Timothy. This is the second letter that Timothy receives from Paul. And it's while Paul is in prison later on in Paul's life. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, You've received a spiritual gift, you have a role, you have giftings, and you need to fan this into flames. You need to get this going. Your spiritual gift is not being used to the extent that it should be. You need to increase your enthusiasm and you need to get this going. You need to fan this into flames. And how did Timothy receive this spiritual gift? 
It says, through the laying on of my hands. So apparently they had an impartation service of some sort. You know, the laying on of hands is something that we see in the New Testament. And it had a variety of different purposes. You can lay hands on people to pray prayers of healing. There was also laying hands on people to commission them for a particular activity. To lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. Here we see to lay hands on people to impart spiritual gifts. And so Timothy received a calling and a gifting to be able to serve in a ministry capacity through the laying on of hands through the Apostle Paul. But then also, of course, Paul doesn't get to dish out spiritual gifts how he so desires. This is God's plan. And so Paul is being used in the process for Timothy to be able to step into the fullness of God's plan for Timothy. So it's a, a thing where we're dependent on each other to grow together. So as we help each other, we all receive more and more things from God. And let's read the next, the next couple verses. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, in the King James spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying you need to fan into flame the gift of God. Don't be timid. Don't be afraid. You've got to receive a different spirit than a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. You've got to fan into flame the gift that you've been given, and you've got to step into it. And don't be ashamed to testify. Don't be afraid to suffer. Lean into it, is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy was young, and he had a big job in front of him. You know, pastoral ministry is very wonderful, but it also includes some non-wonderful things. And so let's look at the specifics of what the Apostle Paul was expecting Timothy to do, because it's good to know the specific situation. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read verses 3 through 7 and get a feel for what the Apostle Paul was expecting Timothy to do. So this is the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and this was Timothy's assignment. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. So Timothy had a job in the church, and that was to control the people who were teaching false doctrines, to stop them from doing that. Now, how much fun is it to be the person who has to be the false doctrine police in the church? Does that sound like fun? So command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. So they were focusing on the wrong things, myths and genealogies, teaching false doctrines, and they were involved in controversies. So Timothy's job as the young, meek, timid Timothy is to step into the church situation that's getting kind of messy with false teaching and controversies and difficulties, and his job is to straighten it all out. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. 
So in the church in Ephesus, there were people who were very confident and they knew what they should do, but they were just wrong and they were causing problems and they were teaching false doctrines. And so it was Timothy's job to straighten that all out. God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. Can you see how Timothy got a little intimidated by the situation? He's younger than most people, and he's supposed to step into the hornet's nest and fix it all. Now, I just noticed this. It's really interesting to go to the book of Revelation chapter 3, so I'm just going to read this quickly. But in the book of Revelation, there are letters given to various churches, and one letter is to the church in Ephesus. And so Timothy was supposed to go in, weed out the false doctrine, and straighten up the church. And look what it says here in Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So it looks like Timothy was successful. That even though we see in 2 Timothy that Timothy is timid and he's afraid and he's, there's these big scary people in the church that he's having to deal with, it looks like he was successful because they're commended for that in Revelation chapter 2. Now they forgot their first love, so that's a disaster. You know, they forgot to love God. They got too busy managing the church properly to really be just in love with Jesus. And so they were admonished for that. But it looks like Timothy did fan into flame the gift of God. And he did deal with the situation and straighten out the false doctrines and the problems that were going on. So hallelujah for that. That's exciting. You know, it's neat to see how those things tie together. But here's the thing. I'm sure that when Timothy was there being prayed for by the Apostle Paul and he's receiving a calling and spiritual gifts that it just seemed like it was going to be super fun. You know, like, I'm going to go serve God and it's going to be great. How many people have ever had that moment of starting? I'm going to go serve the Lord. And then you found out that it just wasn't that simple. That there were obstacles and difficulties and struggles. And I think the experience that Timothy had is very much the experience that all of us have. And it's the same as the nation of Israel going into the promised land. I think the history of the nation of Israel is amazing in that it maps onto our personal individual lives and our walk with God. In, you know, you've got the slavery in Egypt and then the getting set free and the wandering in the desert and the going in the promised land, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's what happens with us personally. And what happened when Israel broke out of Egypt and they were going to go into the promised land is that they found out there were giants in the land, that there were obstacles and difficulties and they felt like grasshoppers in the eyes of these mighty warriors. Now, when did they find out about the giants? Did Moses say, hey guys, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt into a land full of fighting giants. Oh, he gave them the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. And it was flowing with milk and honey, but it was also full of giants. And then what about us? Jesus loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. He's paid the price for all your sins on the cross so that you could be saved. It's going to be great. Come on in. Woo! And then later you find out about the giants. You know? 
Later you find out about the struggles and the fight and the difficulties and the problems and all the issues and the whole suffering and all that stuff and the self-denial. And, you know, and, and then I got a tithe besides. Like, what, what, what? Uh, I thought Jesus loved me. You know? And there's just more to it than what we see at the beginning. And when we learn about the difficulties and the obstacles, it can be something that can set us back. Let me tell you, that is normal. It is normal to be excited about serving God, to have the hopes and dreams that God has put in your heart, and then to see obstacles that you don't think you can overcome. It's what Timothy experienced. It's what the the nation of Israel experienced. And I believe it's what we experience. I know it's what I have experienced personally as well. Years ago, I noticed that there were a bunch of churches that needed pastors and there were a bunch of people that wanted to be pastors but couldn't find a position. And I thought that was really interesting because shouldn't each problem fix itself? But as I've observed that over the years, it doesn't. And why is that? Well, I think it's because of this. There is a huge gap of character and skill that you have to leap in order to be able to be effective in ministry. How good at following Christ do you need to be to get saved? You can be completely incompetent in every way and completely messed up. You ask for forgiveness from God, you're forgiven. Problem solved. You're a child of God, co-heir with Christ. Woo! Are you now ready to, to get in the game? You're not quite ready yet. You got some learning to do. You got to get better. When I got saved, it was 1988. And very quickly, in fact, within five, 10 seconds, I thought, well, now I can, I can tell people that God is real. I mean, I've, I felt called to share the gospel within just a few seconds. Then 12 years later, I became a pastor. 12 years later, which seemed like an eternity. And to make a long story short, I thought I was waiting on God when God was waiting on me. I thought I was waiting for God to give me an opportunity when God was waiting for me to be ready. And my main problem was bad attitude, attitude problem. Not a a person of love, a harsh person, judgmental person, someone who, you know, didn't see the human side to it, but just saw the war and wanted to go to war and didn't really care about any of the people. So that character flaw needed to be fixed before I could be usable at all. And so it took many years. So then 12 years later, I became a pastor. And then it was many years after that before I didn't have to work full time to support my preaching habit. You know, it takes time. Three years of working full time. Then I worked part time for another seven Now I'm full-time at the church. It's pretty sweet. But it's not something that's just like, well, I decided I want to go be a pastor. And now, now, bloop, okay, here's a full-time salary. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. And to various different extents, that's true for every way that we serve God. You want to work in the nursery, there's certain competencies you have to have. You got anger problems. You're not working in the nursery. We're not going to put you in there. You got to, you got to deal with stuff first. And so there's things that we need to work on in order to get to the place where we can be usable in God's plan for our life. And the tragedy is when we never get there. That's the tragedy because then you get bored. And there is very little in this planet that's more annoying than a bored Christian. You know, they don't like anything. They criticize everything and they're not doing anything. Bored Christians are just not so good. 
So we want to be in the game, not on the bench. To get in the game, you've got to develop your gifts and your character. So I've got here Pastor Mike's top 10 most important things to know for developing your spiritual gifts. Number one, don't quit. That's a simple one. It takes time and it takes community. Frustration and offense are not excuses to quit. You will end up frustrated and you will be offended by a variety of different things. Don't quit. Number two, you must be willing to start small. Be faithful in the little things. If you're not faithful in the little things, you don't get the next thing. You'll probably have to be faithful with something that's just between you and God and nobody even sees. That's where that'll start. Be willing to start small. Be faithful in the little things. Number three, come to peace with how God made you. What that means is don't covet other people's giftings or other people's role in the body of Christ. Just be you. You know, not everybody stands on the stage and preaches. Not everybody gets to be the next Kim Walker Smith and have the voice that connects with that generation. Not everybody gets to do that. And so come to peace with who God made you to be. And don't think you need to do something different from that. When you come to peace with that, then that can grow. But you have to come to peace with it first. Don't covet other people's giftings or other people's roles. Number four, be teachable. Very important to be teachable. You know, teachable, coachable, be willing to learn and grow. You're literally stuck where you are if you can't receive feedback and learn from your mistakes. If you just have to justify why you did it a certain way and not learn anything, you're literally going to stay where you're at for the rest of your life. You can't learn and grow. We have to be willing to learn and grow. So be teachable. Be able to to learn and grow and get better. Number five, value and celebrate everyone else's giftings too. Come to peace with who you are and realize that, that God has made you a valuable, important part of the kingdom of God, even if it's an unnoticed, much smaller part. That's valuable. But also celebrate everyone else's giftings as well. Pride will take you down. And one of the things that's very important is every part of the body of Christ is vitally important to the cause of Christ. And so some people can think their thing is the most important thing. You know, like we got to do street evangelism. Somebody's got to go out and rescue those people. It's the only thing that really matters. You know, you people can sit in your church buildings and do whatever you want, but I'm going to go do the real work of the gospel. You know, well, okay, uh, that's important, but so is kids' church. You know, teaching the next generation how to follow in the footsteps of Lois and Eunice and then Timothy. You know, somebody's got to help pass the faith on from generation to generation. That's very important. And then there's worship. You know, like some people, they just want to soak in the presence of God for eight hours at a time and everybody who doesn't get that doesn't really count. You know, well, here's the deal. Celebrate all of those things. They're all vitally important. We all need all the different parts. So like my right arm is, it's very, I use it for writing and stuff and that sort of thing. But do I need my lungs as well? For sure. You know, I need my voice, but I need to have bones in my body too. You know, like if I was missing my liver, it doesn't matter. I, I have, everything else would fall apart. We need all the parts of the body. So celebrate and value everyone else's giftings as well. That's number five. Number six. Trust in the pure plan of God. One of the bummers about serving in church is that you will see various forms of corruption and various things that aren't really working right. There is still the pure, beautiful thing of God there too. So don't let the corruption you see become a corruption in your own heart. Number seven, 
you must submit to authority. In fact, you will have to submit to flawed authority. Why does God use imperfect people? No other option. Why is the authority over you imperfect? Because it's people. You will have to submit to flawed authority. Now, don't take that too far and submit to like evil authority. But even people who are honest and trying the best they can are going to make mistakes. They're going to make the wrong call. They're going to choose the wrong direction. They might even have a bad day and say something they shouldn't say. You're going to have to submit to flawed authority. Don't let that throw you off. Number eight, you must be confident and totally dependent on God at the same time. When I was a new preacher, I was just scared to death. For, I think it was 11 years, I prayed protection over the congregation before every service. You know, now I pray that, that the Holy Spirit will show each of us what we need personally. I used to pray protection. If I say anything wrong, Lord, help these people not to hear it. You know, that sort of thing. For 11 years, I prayed that over the congregation because I was afraid of making mistakes. And I thought, well, if I'm speaking for God, you know, like if I make a mistake, that's like really, really bad. I would just cry out to God, you know, you got to give me something good to say because I don't want to mess this up. And then God would give me something to say and then it would go really well. And then I'd think, yeah, I'm starting to catch on to this. I think I can do this. And then the next week, you know, it'd be terrible. And then I'm like, no, God, you got to help me. So he would. And then it would go really well. And I'd think, yeah, I think I'm catching on to this. And then boom, it would be terrible. And it was this roller coaster of just me being confused on the role I played. And here's what we need to do to grow in our giftings. We need to be very confident, but totally dependent on God. If God's called you to do it, he'll equip you to do it. But you better not go on your own or you're going to fall on your face. Totally depend on God while being confident that he'll take care of you. Number nine, it's hard work. There's no shortcuts in this walking with God thing. It's hard work. And then number 10, don't quit. Yeah, that one's so important I put it in there twice. (laughs) Don't quit. (laughs) The cause of Christ needs you. Understand that. The cause of Christ needs you. Don't quit. Keep going. You can make it. Our closing scripture is going to be from the Gospel of John chapter 15. Seriously, quitting is the most significant problem. If you just don't quit, you'll get better over time. John 15, 5 through 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples about bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And so let's look at this as our closing scripture. John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That was a very important verse for me. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I don't, I don't like that one. I'm just going to stay connected. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now, if you're remaining in Christ, you're going to ask for things like, show me how to be more effective in in the way I'm serving you. You're not going to ask for selfish things. You're going to ask for things that are going to advance the kingdom, and then we will receive those things. And verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if we bear much fruit, in this context, bearing fruit is just effective service in the kingdom of God in any particular way. That can be 
plowing the, the parking lot. It can be leading a Bible study in your home. It can be encouraging someone that you see at Walmart. It can be serving in organized church activities. It can be any of those things. Whose glory comes when we bear much fruit? It says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So if Heather leads worship extremely well, who is glorified? God is glorified. Not Heather, not the worship team, but God. If I preach well, who's glorified? Not me. God is glorified. If someone serves in the nursery well, who gets glorified? God gets glorified. People will notice that their family is safe and that their kids have an environment where they can learn about God and not be in danger. God is glorified. However we serve God, if we do it well, it doesn't glorify us, it glorifies God. So you, eagerly desiring the greater gifts and eagerly desiring to bear fruit for the kingdom of God and do great and mighty things for the Lord. It's not about your glory. It's about God's glory. It's not a selfish thing. It's a holy thing. So seek after growth and developing your spiritual gifts and building that godly character so you can get in the game and that glorifies God. 